What's that? Yeah, <laughs> the um, the book of Acts, and I mean, honestly, Luke Acts is really the way to talk about it. It's a two-part book uh, that that discusses all of these aspects of how the Spirit of God moved out into the world. Um, the reason why I show you the second half is not because we're done with chapter 12. It's because the real break point is not chapter 12. I actually put forward it's chapter 10, um, but... That's just how I teach, because chapter 10 is where we see the focus move from the Jewish community in Jerusalem and Judea, uh, even past Samaria, to now to the Romans themselves. And you will see the wrestling that happens in Peter's mind, in John's mind, um, and then as they come back to Jerusalem and tell it to the rest of the church what the Spirit of God is doing without our understanding, without our planning, uh, and the rest of the book of Acts is them wrestling with how exactly we are to do this, including the Jerusalem Council and everything else. So I always have that secondary introduction uh, right around chapter 10 because chapter 10 is the break point for that. So with that in mind, we will be Acts chapter 10 today, hopefully the entire chapter, uh, because it is a marvelous story that, uh, that opens up the intention for the coming years. Obviously, we saw Philip in uh, in a a very unique uh, story where he goes down and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch and all of a sudden the gospel is now spreading to the south. He, he was up in the north, now down in the south. The spirit translates him immediately back. Uh, and there's, there's so many unique things that we talked about last time. Um, this time we're going to be speaking about Peter. We join him again. And we join a new character, a man named Cornelius, which I don't suppose there could be a better example of who to include to depict how the Spirit was going uh, to the people beyond not just Jerusalem, but Israel. And not just beyond Israel to Samaria, but to the Romans, the ones that are actually invading force, and not just to the Romans, but to a centurion of the Roman army who is currently occupying the people of Israel's land. There's, I don't think there's a more efficient way to communicate to the apostles that the gospel is not for the Jewish people. And you can see it in how they wrestle with this. Peter is not wanting this, not planning this. And this is the this is one of those breakpoints in the book of Acts where we realize that the plan of the apostles had nothing to do with the inclusion of the Gentiles. We got to get in their mindset to understand the struggle with this uh, with this event that Peter and the rest of the church went through. The plan of the apostles is to be witnesses that the Messiah has come. We're going to announce this to all the tribes of Israel. And yeah, if we do go to the uttermost parts of the world, it's going to be just like on Pentecost, where there were Jews living everywhere in all these places. So we're going to reach them. And so this was the plan from the beginning for the apostles. If, if the church was simply planned by the apostles, it would be Jewish. That's it. Of course, naturally. Because throughout the scriptures, as, and Paul writes this later on, says the salvation of the Gentiles was a mystery. Not a mystery like we got to figure it out. A mystery means it was undisclosed by God in the Old Testament. God did not tell his people Israel about the salvation of the entire world. That's a, that's a huge elephant in the room not to talk about. Because the reality is, that the people of Israel needed to focus on themselves, and the reality is that, according to the flesh, the Messiah had to come. Realizing that the Messiah of Israel is also the Savior of the world is a huge thing and challenge to the worldview of the apostles 
Um, none of them were aiming at that, none of them were wanting that, and yet here it is without their consent, without their desire, and without their planning. The Spirit does what he does, and the wind blows where it blows. And so we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 10. Let's look at this. At Caesarea, Acts chapter 10, verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, we, this is a very unique person, right? Uh, this is a Roman by birth. He is a centurion. He's in charge of 100 people uh, in his, uh, in his uh, Italian cohort. And he serves the God of Israel as a proselyte, a foreigner. Well, known as a God-fearer, actually. And so Luke will actually include that reference here. He feared God. They were called by the Israelites God-fearers. Uh, they're foreigners, Gentiles that serve the God of Israel. There's not that many of them. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was one of them. And here you have Cornelius. And so you're going to see as the Holy Spirit rolls out, he's not just going to the house of Israel. The next step is he goes to the God-fearers, which are people that are, let's put it in uh, really in other terms, Old Testament saints that aren't Jewish. And so you see Cornelius, a God-fearer. You see the Ethiopian eunuch, a God-fearer. He's already reading the book of Isaiah. He, I mean, this is all part of this. And so you will see this. We're not quite to the point of where we go to just Gentiles straight up that go from paganism to Christianity. We're still reaching those who are Jewish or those who are Gentile that follow the Jewish religion and worship the God of Israel. We will see this roll out as we continue on. So it shouldn't surprise us that we see him as someone who already fears the God of Israel. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, who is in the house by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Joppa is a little fishing village right on the coast, um, and Caesarea is about... Sorry, Acts chapter 10. Yep, chapter 10, and just finished verse 8. Caesarea is about, oh, 30 miles north. So you're coming down, you pop over to the coast, and you just basically walk down the beach for, yeah, several days. And you come there to do so. In uh, kind of like, meanwhile, <laughs> Peter's vision, verse 9, Acts chapter 10. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. Now, the sixth hour of the day is noon. Uh, if you don't remember, they start their day at 6 a.m. Good time to wake up, anyhow. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's like, uh, Peter said, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. 
And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now, just as a side note while we're here, can you think of any other time that Peter and his response to the Lord and three times being wrong, does that sound familiar to any other story that happened maybe in recent memory? The denial of Christ. What about one that's connected with eating? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep. This, this, this whole concept is, is, is Christ speaking to Peter in a language that he would immediately reflect upon, oh, but only in retrospect, not during it. Because Peter, it says, happens three times. He denies it three times. Not going to do that, not going to do that, not going to do that. And so verse 17 picks it up, and I love how Luke talks about this. While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he uh, had seen might mean, you know, basically Peter, from his perspective, looking at it as a test. Hey, you going to break the law? He's like, no, of course I'm not going to do that. Okay. Don't call, don't call unclean what I've made clean. He's like, wait, what? And then again, Reptiles, unclean animals, birds that you're not allowed to eat according to the Jewish law. Peter, eat it. No. It's unclean. That doesn't touch my lips. It doesn't work like that. Jesus answers back, that's, that's not correct, okay? Take the Try it a third time. Give me three times a charm. See how it works. Peter is sitting there confused about what in the world did that just mean? Again, this is not Peter's plan. He doesn't want this. This is the last thing he wants. While he was sitting there inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had might mean, behold, the men who were sent from Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. Uh, Just very, um, very uh, nice coordination. Let's put it this way. The happenstance is quite lucky. And called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, here we go. The Spirit speaks audibly. Again, enormously rare instance. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now there's a number of things in there that we could pull apart. But the reality is that Peter would not naturally want to go with them at all. Same with the sheet. I don't want to eat anything in here. Even though the same exact instruction comes here, rise and do this. That kind, of, that kind of language is the same thing. I told you rise and eat, and you didn't. Now I'm saying rise and go down. Don't even hesitate this time. You, this is no longer vision. This is no longer teaching. This is happening. Commandment, go. Accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Just like the sheet was sent by God, these people were sent by God. Because, think about it from Peter's perspective. If the Spirit doesn't say this to him, what is his theory here? Representatives of Cornelius, a centurion of the Roman legion, absolutely. They're here searching for me by name? The Romans killed Jesus not, mm, not a few months ago in this timeline. And they know that I was there the night. They know that I was one of his chief disciples. And they finally found me. 
that would have been what was going through his mind. Except for instead what was going through his mind is, what in the world did all of these animal things mean and who are these and what? It completely rearranged every expectation he had for how this is going to go down. Mm-mm. Right. Well, and the remarkable thing, too, is that when the Lord says, rise, kill, and eat, it seems plain to me that that's the Lord Jesus. That's not the Spirit speaking audibly. Every time the Spirit speaks audibly, it's delineated out. And so you actually see a, a balance between this, almost a handoff in the instructions to, Jesus, or to, uh, to Peter here. So Peter went down to the men and just announced, I'm the one who you're looking for, why are you here? They said, Cornelius the centurion, an upright and God-fearing man. Again, there's the terminology. He's a God-fearer, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. We serve the same God, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. Again, th- these guys are, are trying to take care of any prejudice that Peter would have. He loves the Lord, everyone loves him, he gives alms to the poor, like everything's okay, we're not here to kill you, <laughs> which they would have had the ability to do. Uh, He is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. He was directed by a holy angel to send for you and come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Probably his bodyguards, to be perfectly honest. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. By the way, that's that's quite a hike. That's 30 miles overnight. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together all of his relatives and his close friends. Now these are all Italians, Latins, Romans, however you want to call it, all serving, as it says before, all of them were God-fearers. All of them believed the God of Israel and worshipped the God of Israel. So this is, this is a very unique group of people all gathered there to hear this. When Peter entered, verse 25, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why have you sent for me? Cornelius says, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now, if there's not a better invitation to share the gospel and the witness of Jesus Christ, I mean, this is exactly what's going on. This is not always going to be the way of it. But here we have a unique preparation that the Spirit had made up ahead of time. So Peter opened his mouth. And he begins with the lesson he just learned. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Now, you you, you have to understand how significant of a lesson that was for Peter to receive. The idea that God has shown no partiality, but as he says here, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news, gospel of peace through Jesus Christ, because he is Lord of all. And here Peter is already making the connection. Wait a second. 
God is not just the king of Israel. He has shown himself to be king of kings. He's not just creator of the nation of Israel. He's creator of heaven and earth. He's starting to make these connections of, oh my goodness, this is going to be so much bigger than any of us planned. He's Lord of all things. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. And watch this. This is the first instance of it. Beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of both the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I can't think of a more succinct sharing of the gospel. I mean, that is truly a remarkable way to spell this out. And you got to understand, Peter is still wrestling with the idea that it's illegal for him to even be here. He's not allowed to be in this house. He's not allowed to be talking to them about this stuff. And the Sanhedrin is already commanding him to stop speaking about Jesus anyway. He's breaking like 18 laws. But here he lays out that what the Spirit has been doing and what the Spirit is going to continue to do is going to be very surprising to all of us. And without missing a beat, (laughs) verse 44, the most significant reference to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among them, the circumcised, these were Jewish people that were with Peter, bodyguards essentially, the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because, here's the transition point, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit? And if you don't have it underlined in your Bible, do it. Just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he asked, and they asked him to remain for some days. What you just saw was the birth of the Gentile church. And it happens in the exact same way as the birth of the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 2. Again, we should not expect this to be normative. This is not normative. This is exceptional. This is a transition point in the history of the church. All of a sudden, we have the Jewish plan that made sense for the first seven, eight, nine chapters of the church's existence. And now you have Peter thoroughly confused about this vision that's let down. Rise, kill, and eat. No. Rise, kill, and eat. Rise, kill, and eat. Okay, fine. You know what? Just go to Caesarea. (laughs) Remarkable stuff. And then in Caesarea, by the time he gets there, he's been able to reflect on this enough to realize, oh, the way I'm looking at Gentiles is the same way I look at unclean animals. They are unfit to be near me. When in reality, it's actually quite the opposite. To think that I am fit to be here, or, or that somehow salvation is primarily owed to me, is missing the entire point. God doesn't show partiality like this. And the gospel is going to supersede even the boundaries of Israel, which you've got to understand, 
1500 years, it never did that except in very, very rare instances. And one of the prophets, for instance, was commanded to do that. And what was his reaction? Remember the story of Jonah? Just go to Nineveh. Just go tell them to stop killing everybody. And otherwise, I'm going to destroy them. 40 days hence, and this this city will be overturned. Take that message to them. And Jonah's like, (laughs) if I do that, you're going to heal them. Because you're a merciful God. I don't want you to do that. I don't want that kind of an end for them. I want them to be overturned. I want their city to be destroyed. And so, instead, I'll go the other way. And God's like, yeah, sure you will. All right, fine. We know that story. But outside of very rare instances like that, the 99% of the focus was placed on the Jewish people and their following the Lord. 1,500 years. And Peter here has a front row seat to the day it switched. Peter, who was there the day that the Holy Spirit fell on the church in Jerusalem, and it was amongst all of the Jewish people that were visiting from these foreign lands. He's like, okay, that's weird. They're in the diaspora, but okay, I guess they're welcome in too. You know, you know, uh, and, and the Holy Spirit's going to you know, save Jews in other lands. Okay, that makes sense. And that kind of, they can wrap their head around. But here we're just like, wait a second. We just have straight up Romans here now. How's this going to work? And they had their own Pentecost here that day in Cornelius' house. Not just his family, but all of his close friends. Everyone, as it says in his household, received the word. Everyone was baptized. Why? Because they received the word. They received the gospel. And then on top of that, they received the Holy Spirit in the exact same way that the Jewish people did. Again, I will emphasize, if it was up to the apostles, the church would have stayed Jewish. It would have been the culmination of the Jewish hope and nothing more. And it would have continued on that way. It is the Holy Spirit that led them, drug them to the Gentiles and said, here, be a witness not only of what Jesus is doing, but now of what the Spirit is doing. You can't deny this. In fact, Peter and those who are with him actually come to the Jerusalem Council in about seven chapters, no, in five chapters, and they tell this story. Because in chapter 11, they go back to the, to the apostles and they tell the story there, and they're all just like, what? what? How is that possible? And he's like, I have witnesses. We were all there. We just saw this happen. And when they finally come to the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, he stands up and he's just like, guys, I don't know what to tell you. The Holy Spirit fell on them, and they weren't even circumcised. And this is going to be the first growing pain of the early church. How do, we, how do we account for the fact that Gentiles do not join the covenant of Israel and yet they have the Holy Spirit? They are the temple and they're not even in the nation of Israel. They can't figure this out. And you've got to understand too, it was hard enough for them to understand that the church was the temple. This was stuff that Jesus was already teaching about. But in Jerusalem stands... The temple. Sacrifices still being carried on. Things like this still going on. And they're trying to wrap their head around just the basic idea. One, that Jesus' body was the temple. Now the church is the temple. But now the church is going to include Gentiles. Parts of the temple. Not circumcised. Not in the commonwealth of Israel. Unclean things. And what they're going to start learning is that, oh boy, even though circumcised, we are unclean too. 
hearts, minds. It's exactly what Stephen said. It really has nothing to do with what's on the outside. The uncircumcised heart, the mind, the one that's not committed to the Lord and his ways, it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. It doesn't matter what nation you live in, what country you live in, what ethnicity you are, if Abraham's your father. None of that accounts for anything because Christ is here as Lord of all things. When we see when we see how Peter shares the gospel with all of them, he addresses them this, right? God shows no partiality in any nation, anyone who fears him. And again, Peter is starting to wrap his mind around, okay, it's not just Jewish people. Okay, so it goes to God-fearers. Okay, that's the next step. Okay, they're, they're sort of allowed in. God-fearers, okay, that makes sense. You just, okay, but not to the nations yet. I mean, that would just be preposterous. At least you guys are God-fearers. We can wrap our head around this. Yeah, right, exactly. At least you're not Samaritans. Uh, but here, your God-fearers, okay, yeah, I mean, you have one demerit, you're Romans, so that's, that's one thing. It's illegal for me to talk to you. Uh, imagine how complex this starts working for the church fellowship. If you're a Jewish Christian, you all of a sudden have a saved Roman in your church, it's illegal for you guys to talk. Or eat most of what they eat. Yep. Uh, yep, right, exactly. Culturally, Romans had no issue with eating food offered to idols. Jewish people did. How in the world do we deal with this? And this is where we start introducing the New Testament. How do we, how do we deal with these realities that are going to now come where, where we are sitting next to one another in church and we have completely different cultures? But we have Christ in common. How do we deal with that? And we've struggled with that ever since. I love the way he shares the gospel because this really is a marvelous example of how to do so. Uh, in verse 36, he continues, The word that he sent to Israel preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what had happened in all of Judea. And he tells the story about Jesus. He goes about doing all of these things from the time of baptism uh, that John proclaimed. Again, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. That's where the Holy Spirit came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He did not have the Holy Spirit before that. This is why Peter is focusing in on this, because this is something that the Holy Spirit was doing through Jesus Christ. And so he includes that. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. By the way, there's where we get our understanding that Jesus did no miracles apart from the Holy Spirit. Not only does Jesus say that, but he also says it right here. The reality is no miracles existed outside of this. This was the Holy Spirit doing his work through Jesus of Nazareth. Why was he able to do this? Because God was with him. We saw it. Everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death. God raised him from the dead, made him to appear. And verse 41 is just fascinating. The intention was not to make him appear before all the people. And you think, well, if, if your goal was to save all the people, wouldn't, wouldn't portraying yourself in front of the entire nation make far more sense? Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. In other words, the way that Christ is going to build his church is through the testimony of witnesses. It's not going to be through first-hand confirmation. There's a lot of false teaching that goes around, both in the church and in cults, that try to pass off our experiences or our emotions in relation to salvation as first-hand confirmation of the gospel. It doesn't work like that. We have second-hand. 
We take the witness's word for this. That's why we come to the scriptures. That's why we're given the scriptures. We need the apostles to actually preach to us. We need to hear the scriptures. Why? Because that's how God saves his people. It's through his witnesses. And as the apostles are alive, people can go speak to them. In fact, we see this in 1 Corinthians, where where people are going, you know, oh, we're not really sure that Jesus rose from the dead. He's like, "Um, there's still 500 people alive that saw him after his resurrection. Go check. By the way, almost the entirety of the New Testament is written during what's called the Age of Disproof where people can literally still go and just as Luke did, interview everyone who saw Jesus firsthand. That was a gift to the early church, but it's also a gift to us to not have that and instead have scripture. We'll talk about that as we go forward. Uh, Verse 41, "He, He didn't appear to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Yes, this Jesus, whose glorified body can pass through locked doors, also could eat and drink. Don't ask me. I have no idea. Verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God, and here comes the focus of the gospel. That's not to give you happier lives, not to give you better lives, not to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, or any of this stuff. No. He is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets, this is consistent with the Old Testament, All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, who trusts in him, who relies in him, let me define every single way I can, who dedicates themselves to him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. End of gospel proclamation. Remarkable stuff. You say, why why is he speaking with such such specificity here? He didn't have this in Acts chapter 2. Right? He tells the story of the crucifixion to the Jews who had been gathered together. He says, you yourselves know all of this. You were here as witnesses to this. You know what happened. He died. He was risen from the dead. We all saw it. Here you see what's given, and it's very Jewish. It's what Joel spoke of. It's what Isaiah spoke of. And it's so Jewish. Why? Because, well, it was in Jerusalem. And he was speaking to Jewish people who all knew that. And they're all cut to the heart in Acts chapter 2. And they say, what shall we do? And the extent of it is repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You have to turn away from this. In other words, you cannot just say we're Jews and everything's fine. You still have to come to Christ. And for these who are God-fearers, he's saying the same thing. Nowhere in here does he say you need to go out, you got to, well, okay, so here's the list of becoming Jewish. So in order to follow Messiah, you got to be Jewish. So you got to get circumcised. You got to um, follow these certain dietary reg- regulations. You have to do all these things. Peter is just telling him the good news about what happened with Christ and the reality that, as he has now reflected upon, the prophets have been saying this for centuries. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he realizes that that expression of whoever is not just directed at people who are Jewish. He was like, oh, it actually means everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. That was the outcome of Joel chapter 2, wasn't it? In the final days, my spirit will be cast upon all flesh. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, even your male and female servants and all of these things. And then it it says at the end of this huge list, and it will come to pass in that day that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter is just going, oh, 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 this is huge. Because now our ministry just doesn't extend to Judea. 
It doesn't just start in Jerusalem and go to Judea. When he says we would be our, his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, he wasn't just telling us to go find all the Jews. Like, Peter is in real time realizing that this isn't up to us. I mean, there was nothing about Peter staying at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa that's going to see him in Caesarea the next day preaching the gospel to a bunch of Romans. It wasn't Peter's plan. It wasn't anyone else's plan. It was the Holy Spirit's plan. He's the one who sends the angel. He's the one who sends down the sheet. He's the one who tells Peter, go downstairs, don't hesitate, go with them to Caesarea. They go to Caesarea, and he's there going, uh, here's a bunch of Romans that want to know the gospel of Christ. And literally the only message that I can give to them is the story of what happened and to give them the command at the end of Joel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They will receive forgiveness of sins. But it's only going to be through Jesus' name. It's not going to be different because you're Romans. Now here's, here's the awesome part. All of them already were saints. What you're seeing is a transition of Old Testament saints to becoming New Testament saints. We're not seeing salvation arrive at that house that day. They were already saved. They just didn't have the Holy Spirit. We're going to see this over and over and over again in the rest of the book of Acts, where we come upon a small cadre of people that were saved in the Old Testament manner, but hadn't had the Holy Spirit yet. It's going to happen all the way up to chapter 18, which I believe is the last instance of it off the top of my head. And here you see, while Peter was still saying these things, while the gospel is coming out of his mouth, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. These are already God-fearers, which means, again, then we can reflex back. It meant the God-fearers who were Gentiles were saved the same way as any Jewish person was saved in the Old Covenant. They were saints all the same, whether they were Israel or not. And the believers from among the circumcised, these are Christians who are Jews, who come with Peter, were amazed because nobody expected that. Okay, Feel, feel the increasing speed. And that's why I say this is a transition point because all sorts of things just changed. Peter's mind and those who's traveling with. Okay, okay, okay. We can go. Maybe we can preach to these God-fearers and maybe, maybe God will save them. But we're still going to be the main focus here because, well, you know, we're Jews and we're saved and we have the Holy Spirit. In his mind, we will just go and preach to them and they'll become Christians. Sounds great. Or they'll be followers of the way. Right? That terminology of Christian doesn't exist yet. They will become disciples. Great, no problem. We'll let them in through the back door. And God says, no. No, front door. Peter's like, wait. Wait, what? Mm, no. No, if we let them through the front door, then there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Oh, there's no distinction. <laughs> like, you're seeing them realize this in real time. Peter is coming there just going, I really don't know why you want me here. Oh, you want to hear the gospel? Okay, here's what the gospel is. And, and there wasn't even time for, do any of you want to be repentant and baptized? And then the Holy Spirit comes on. Nope. Holy Spirit comes while he's saying those words. The believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Yeah, because they just learned that their entire paradigm they're working with is obsolete. Because, and why were they amazed? The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And not only even on the Gentiles, the end of verse 47 says that they received the Holy Spirit just as they had. No distinction whatsoever between apostles, 
who were disciples of Jesus, Jewish people from birth, and a centurion in the Roman legion. We're going to start to see this trickle down through the church and realize not only, and by the time that Paul writes the book of Ephesians, not only is there no distinction between Jew and Gentile, there's no distinction here as far as salvation goes between male and female or slave or free. There's no distinction at all. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no layers, there's no hierarchy in the church like that, where one person is a super Christian, one person is a, you know, just get in by the skin of my teeth. My goodness, if it's up to us, none of us are making it, skin of the teeth or not. But in Christ, all of us have been given the power to become the children of God, regardless of where we hail from or who we are or what our families were. That is correct. So the Jewish church, rightly speaking, would be those who have converted and trusted in Christ. But for the rest of the Jewish nation, he is continually expressing to them, they, as a continuation of the Old Testament's, um, of the Old Testament's message, they must believe in the Messiah who has come. Uh, that is the responsibility of a Jewish person in the first century. Your Messiah has come. Trust in him. Salvation is in his hand. To the Gentiles, the same thing, except for it's your creator has come and salvation is in his hands. It's Lord of all, not King of Israel only. Though he was King of Israel, much more. Uh, Much more is it to be Lord of all, creator of heaven and earth, yes? Uh, They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God and Peter declared, (laughs) no, I, I love how it's just Peter just looks at this and goes, And it's not, hey, let's baptize everyone. It's, he looks over the Jews and he's like, can any of you withhold water? Like, is there any reason you can think of where we shouldn't, must baptize all of them? They receive the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. How do, you, how do you wrap your head around this? For the next four chapters, we're going to watch them try. I mean, Peter goes right back to the church uh, in Jerusalem, uh, right back to, the, uh, right back to the, the apostles. You want to see how much they weren't planning for this? Look at the entrance of chapter 11. Now, the apostles and the brothers, it's just all the Christians who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Notice it wasn't about the Holy Spirit yet. Someone went and told them. (laughs) What in the world? So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that's the Jewish Christians, were criticizing him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. (laughs) Peter began, he's like, let me tell you point by point what happened. That wasn't my idea. 
He, he says, I'm going to explain to you an order. I was sitting in Joppa, Jewish territory. I was in Simon the Tanner's house, Jewish guy. This was not my plan. In a trance, I saw a vision. It's something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. It came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, no. So exactly what you would have answered, I answered, no, Lord. Nothing uncommon or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. I didn't eat any of it, I promise. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived from the house in which, they, in which we were, and sent for me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go to them without making distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. There were seven of us. We entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel standing. I mean, you can picture the rest of the apostles sitting there with their jaws on the floor. We entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, send a job and bring Simon who is called Peter and he will declare to you the message by which you will be saved and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they all fell silent. And I think in the text you should stop there and feel it. And then they glorified God, saying, I'm going to add one word for emphasis. Apparently, then, to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. What a remarkable story. You will see a ramping up of everything now. A ramping up of difficulties of decisions, controversies inside the church, trying to wrestle with how in the world do we have Jews and Gentiles both in the church? How is that possible? How could we possibly live next to one another? We have different holidays. We have different scruples. We have different rules. We have different food. How are we supposed to sit down with one another? It's illegal. It's culturally repugnant. We're going to have to get over all of this stuff because they have the Holy Spirit same as us. hard enough for us to wrap our minds around Jews that live in Parthia and the land of the Medes and the Persians and Macedonia and Libya and the, uh, the extreme parts of Cush and things like this. Hard enough for us to get along with Jews who compromise with their nations wherever they live. Now you're telling me those nations are going to be welcomed into the church straight up. And you have to understand even the way that Peter is talking about this and the way that the apostles are reacting to it is one wrong but fully expected. How could we imagine anything else? Jesus didn't even talk about this. We saw whispers of it. Whispers of it that were confusing to the disciples. Why is he talking to this woman in Samaria? It's not just because she's a woman. No, it's because she's Samaritan. 
we don't have any dealings with this. And Jesus is like, oh, great. Okay, so let's go stay some days in Sychar and see what happens. And like the entire city repents. Awesome story. But the Syrophoenician woman, she comes up, please, heal my child. He's like, no, no, no. I'm currently dealing with the stuff on the table. Um, that food's not for the dogs. And she says, yeah, I know. But dogs get scraps from the table. And Jesus looking at her, because what he was saying, he was not looking at her and going, you know, you're less than us. He was saying, it's not my time to save the Gentiles yet. And Jesus is like, I know, but I'm here today. And my, my child's sick now. And I know that you're the salvation of the world. And he just looks at her and says, I haven't even seen faith like that in Israel. Okay. And he healed her child that moment. We saw whispers of it during the ministry of Christ. But here we're seeing it straight up in front of their face. And what Peter is saying to them is on the same level of saying, who was I to stand in God's way? I wanted to. I didn't want the Gentiles to be welcomed in the church like this. This, this breaks every rule. And you can still see when we come to the book of Galatians, which by the way will be written before this year is out as far as the chronology of Acts. It's written right around Acts chapter 15. We're going to go to Galatians after Acts 15 so we can see everything in chronology. You can see that Peter and Paul had a disagreement because Peter was still struggling with how to interact with Gentiles when Jewish people could have happened by. Maybe they'll see me eating with them. And so when the Jewish people would come to town, Peter would shun away and not eat with the Gentiles. And then when they were gone, he's like, okay, fine, I can eat with the Gentiles. And Paul calls him out for being a hypocrite on this. He's like, that's, that's not how the gospel works. That's not how the salvation works. We were in one body, we were in one Christ, we were in one Lord, one salvation. And what Peter is doing is just trying to wrap his head around this. Jesus told us that this is what he was going to do. There was a baptism by water in John, but he was going to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. And since we watched them be baptized in the Holy Spirit, who was I to say anything? Who was I to stand in the way of the Lord? If God gives the same gift to them that he gave to us, basically, and again, we bring it back to what is the Holy Spirit. Anytime the Holy Spirit's involved in something, we should look for the life. God brought them to life in front of me. And he looks at the apostles, I don't know what to tell you. I can't stand there. What, you want to stand in the Lord's way? You would have done the same thing if you were standing there with me. He said, look, I got six of the brothers here. You know them. You respect them. They're, they're all the strong guys. They're all the bodyguards. They were there and they're just like, ah, wait, yeah, it happened just as he said. They're all speaking in tongues. Think about that for a second. Go back to the story in your mind. They were extolling the wonders of God by speaking in tongues. What language did Peter hear them speak? His heart language. He was hearing Gentiles speak in tongues to his heart language, a language they did not know. He was hearing them speak in tongues to him, and he was able to perceive it straight up. And so what Peter is saying here is like, how you wrestle against that? Yeah, I understand. He says to the apostles, this breaks everything. This changes everything. But how is that not consistent with what both Christ said and the prophets foretold? God gave them the same gift to them 
as he gave to us. It wasn't just coming from us. Yes, salvation is of the Jews. Yes, it originated through us. Yes, it came for these things. But to the Gentiles also, salvation has gone. God gave them the same gift that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? And that is the attitude of the first church. God is leading the way and we are following. It is not them going, hey, let's reach the world and and, uh, and pray that God blesses it all. No, it is what God says and where God takes and what God instructs, we follow, that is it. We are called followers of the way for that exact reason. The way is Christ. The goal is Christ all the time, everywhere, in every instance. And what he's saying here is that the, the proof of that is in the giving. We saw the Holy Spirit fall in the same way. We can't argue with that. And as this continues to go out, we're going to see an expansion out uh, to Antioch in the north, uh, outside of uh, the, the realms of Israel and Judea. We're going to see them go to Cyprus. We're going to see them go to Pisidia. We're going to see things change quickly, quickly, quickly. And it's going to continue going on until we start running into massive problems Uh, in how Jews and Gentiles are to be next to one another in church. And then we have to come back to Jerusalem and say, okay, how do we solve this problem? And that's where the Jerusalem Council comes in. And once we do that, uh, then there's two books of the New Testament written in response to that. That's the book of James and the book of Galatians. And wouldn't you know it, the book of Galatians deals so heavily with the Spirit's work. um, That shouldn't surprise us. So uh, let's go ahead and stop there. Uh, at the uh, in the middle point of the book uh, or of, of Acts chapter eleven, and we'll pick up there next week. Any questions or thoughts here at the end? Right, right, but you're exactly right. How much time he had ruminating on it and then connecting it. I find it fascinating that he actually connects it to the same passage he quotes on the day of Pentecost, Joel 2. Uh, And he's just like, what I thought on the day of Pentecost was everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is a reference to the Jewish people. Uh, He really meant everyone. (laughs) I think it's awesome. Yep. All right, let's close it down. We'll see you guys next week.